So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. I'm Nate Larkin, uh, here with my my pal, my buddy, my friend, my Silas, uh, David Hampton. And I want to tell you, David, I am feeling very positive today. That's uh, a good thing, being on Positive Sobriety, to <laughs> have, have a little positivity to bring with you. What is uh, What exactly are you feeling positively about? <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, I suppose I've talked about it some on the show. I don't know how much I have. I think it's ironic when I stop and think about it, that I, I am probably the first person to whom you said, hey, I think I might have a problem with alcohol. Yeah, that's and true. I got, I, and I got to take you to your first AA meeting. That's right. right. Yes, you did. Okay. And maybe and then, the second and the third, as I recall. But yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so here we are, like 13, 14 years later, you and I are meeting together. Well, not to, and, and not to correct you, Nate, but it was 16 on uh, Sunday. For, was it really? Yeah, 16 wow. on Amazing. Sunday. Yeah. 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 But who's counting? <laughs> yeah, who's counting? <laughs> um. And for years, I have said, and I have, you know, I've said it from stages, and I've said it in private. I'm a sex addict. I'm a recovering sex addict. Um, I drink, but I'm not an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suppose if you believe that alcoholics universally are born and not made, mm-hmm. then it's clear that the, you know, my drug of choice was sex and not alcohol. Yeah, and my drinking. Uh, has always been controlled, although the control has been slipping over the years. Still, I could tell myself that I'm within the margins. You know, I don't get drunk. I don't drive drunk, you know, mm-hmm. but, but, but an objective view would stand back to say a guy who is drinking every day, even if he's not drinking that much. And even if he only sticks to beer and wine is probably becoming dependent upon it. And kind of the, 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 you know, the proof of the pudding is what happens when he stops? Can he stop? What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I have, uh, so you were the first guy who, you know, kind of looked at me across the table and said, uh, you know, tell me you questioned my drinking and you quit very kindly, nicely, non-judgmentally, very openly. You're my friend, mm-hmm. but you were, you were kind of you were questioning my statement uh-huh. and inviting me to look at my drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't regard it as a favor at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I didn't. I would have rather gone to the zoo than to AA too. So that was. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> So I don't know. I have uh, hopped on and off the wagon a few times in the last year. I have uh, amassed a very good library of quit lit. There are a lot of good books out there. Sure. On, uh, quitting alcohol. Yeah. Uh, delved. So anyway, all that to say, I, I am beyond making blanket statements to say that I am a former drinker. Uh, I do think that at least by some definitions of an alcoholic, I have succeeded in uh, making myself or a part of my brain uh, vulnerable to, and if I use it, dependent upon alcohol. 
Mm-hmm. One thing I do. So anyway, I'm on. <laughs> I God, I sound like the new guy at AA. I'm on day. <laughs> I'm on day thirteen, David. All right. I'm not having we'll okay. Su- but we support and and celebrate day thirteen. And I got to tell you, I f- I feel uh, I feel great. Yeah. And I don't know why I'm surprised because I did this, you know, a, f- a couple of years ago, you know, mm-hmm. I quit yeah. for a month. I said yeah. I was going to quit for a month. Uh, Allie and I were going to quit together for a month. At 28 days, we decided that a lunar month counted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, and I was actually at that point disappointed by how much better I felt not drinking because I still somehow had it programmed into my mind that not to drink would be to deprive myself of a genuine pleasure that, yeah. that I would, I would lose something if I quit drinking. Right. What yeah. the, what the quit lit reminds me of over and over and over again is that I'm not actually giving up anything. Right. Right. Yes. That alcohol takes far more than it gives. And what you think you're getting is an illusion actually produced by the drug itself. Exactly. And it's an amazing thing that we um, we go over and over again to a depressant to make us yeah. feel better for a little yeah. while and then crash yeah, yeah. us when it drops us, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And then we, you know, we drink to eliminate the discomfort caused by drinking. Mm-hmm. It, and that's how it that's how it freaking works yeah uh but uh you know social and cultural programming is so strongly in the other direction mm-hmm. uh ali and i are watching a an australian uh i don't know what you'd call kind of a nighttime you know epic soap opera right this uh-huh. sprawling story from australian television and it's set in the 60s and 70s, although probably the same would be, could be said about a piece set in today. But what is striking to me now, as Ali and I watch this show every day, is how everybody is drinking all the time yeah. on the show. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's part yeah. of being sociable. And yeah. it's and it's and it's you need this to relax and uh, mm-hmm. uh, swimming upstream from that. Uh, requires some support. Mm-hmm. It requires some constant, for me at least at this stage, some counter programming. Yeah. So uh, I will tell you the one thing that I have been doing the last 13 days is I, I restarted my habit tracker on my phone. Great. And one of the items that I track is at least 15 minutes listening uh, to an audio book uh, from my Quit Lit uh, collection. Okay. So. So alcohol explained or um, uh, this naked mind mm-hmm. or alcohol lied to me. There are, there are a number of very helpful titles. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. and I want to tell you, it's been, it's been painless for me. Yeah. And, and I'm grateful for the work that I've done in 12 step recovery that I think has definitely made this process easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, uh, and the work that I have done in therapy around trauma, right? You know, a lot of those, you know, baseline things that drive discomfort. So, so now that I have eliminated the chemical cause of discomfort, mm-hmm. by God, I feel great. Yeah, I'm sleeping great. Yeah, I'm far more present. Well, and uh, the multi-pronged approach, Nate, is going to be the best outcome yeah. long term um you know i'm yeah. glad that you're devoting time to um you know uh bringing the literature back into your uh experience yeah. and the time of reflection and the and the trauma work and the things that that have to happen now that now that we're not clouded by uh, alcohol yeah. you know because our culture is um you know i don't want to sound like the old you know codger here but the the culture 
Um, or maybe I do. I, <laughs> I don't know. But the culture is moving more and more and more in our country. You know, I'd love to say, well, you're, you're Australian TV show. That's because they're Australians. Everybody knows Australians mm-hmm. drink too much, you know, whatever. Yeah, but yeah, America yeah. is consuming more alcohol than we ever have. And it's become more mainstream. Um, yeah. People that were once really conservative faith systems have a much more accepting uh, yeah. view of alcohol. Um, you know, I, I had a client tell me the other day, she said, I don't go to my women's Bible study anymore because they serve wine. And yeah. she said, I, I can't go and not drink. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. You know, she yeah. doesn't go to Bible study anymore because they serve wine. And I'm not, don't, you know, don't give me a bunch of email about, you know, I'm not banging <laughs> on people who serve wine at Bible study. I'm just saying, you know, we might need to be mindful that there are people who um, would be um, uh, impacted negatively by that, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I'm glad you're taking the multi-pronged approach and, um, you know, the lady we've got today, uh, who's joining us is a therapist on the West coast and she is all about, um, the multifaceted approach to, uh, recovery and sobriety. Oh yeah. What a great conversation this is. Now I wasn't present for the interview, Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I have listened to it twice and I am mm. quoting it extensively in my conversations with other people. This is one that I'm sure, listeners, you're going to want to replay too. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment with Amy Guerrero on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome to the episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast, where our guest today is Amy Guerrero. And Amy comes to us from the Malibu area, the West Coast, uh, I believe you said Topanga Canyon. Um, Yeah, yeah. and Amy is a uh, recovery life coach, and she works with a lot of uh, obviously recovering people, but she also works with a trauma-informed approach. And you guys as listeners have all heard Nate and I talk today and other days about how trauma impacts our uh, lives and uh, our choices and um, our uh, compulsions and our impulses and our addictions and all of that. And Amy's going to kind of walk us through that today. But um, Amy, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so great to meet you. Well, it's great to meet you. And I so appreciate you making the time today, especially you're two hours earlier uh, than I am here. So you're up and at them out there on the West Coast. (laughs) I'm an an early bird for sure. I'm a dolphin. (laughs) Well, that's a good thing because, you know, we sometimes we adjust our West Coast times to accommodate people who aren't quite uh, the early bird that you are. But uh, Amy, uh, you know, as we always do on the podcast, before we get into kind of what you do now, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you got into uh, all of this work and kind of what led you down this road? Absolutely, David. I'm so happy to share that with you. Well, it started with trauma. Mm. You know, like that is the things Um, I was introduced to the idea of trauma in, gosh, 1997 while I was in, um, while I was in college at UT Austin. And that's when I started to kind of get the wheels turning of like, Oh wait, it's not just mental illness. Like there's something deeper to it. There's something, there's something more complex to this whole process. Mm-hmm. And that led me into learning more about, um, the body mm-hmm. and how trauma is stored in the body. Mm-hmm. And then that led me to the yoga mat eventually in 1999 And in 1999 is when I really started to get confronted with, wow, like this, this really does live in the body. This, this is, this is real Mm -hmm. and I can move it through my body. Um, So my, uh, just a quick story of what my trauma is. Um, I was, my, my birth mom um, had just a really hard time. You know, her father and her brothers and her her family were just not not great. And she um, experienced sexual abuse from her father, from her brothers um, and all kinds of other things. When I was born in the 70s, they called it mental illness. Um, Now I can clearly see that she was having a trauma response. Mm -hmm. But that her life um, led her to not know what to do with a child. So. pretty soon after I was born and even in utero, 
she was like, I don't know what to do with this. And so my dad raised me, but that was that first kind of break in abandonment. And, um, I was already a little sensitive, little, (laughs) little baby, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was super sensitive and it showed up in my early childhood while I was still in diapers as constipation, which, you know, listeners, if you, if you feel your body getting constipated, getting stuck, this is one of the, the easiest ways to show that there's something stuck literally in your body and you're unable to poop. Mm -hmm. And that's a trauma response, Mm -hmm. right? That's, Mm -hmm. that's your digestive system not working properly as a trauma response. So that is where like everything started. Um, they, They really couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, why I was like such a you know, difficult baby, but it was because I wasn't getting that secure attachment from mother, you know, breastfeeding, all of the things that really support us to Mm -hmm. get that, those first several years, all that nurturing. Mm -hmm. So the stuff starts so young and, you know, we have so many studies to show that it actually does start in utero and the importance of a secure attachment and all of the things. So Mm -hmm. That's where it all started. I was pretty uncomfortable most of my childhood. I mean, I, I had I, I I became very resilient. And I'm sure that your listeners totally understand what that looks like and feels like. Sure. You learn how to read a room, you learn how to be hyper vigilant, mm-hmm. you learn um you learn how to survive. But that doesn't ever mean that you can relax into actually thriving. Mm-hmm. You know, the nervous system my nervous system was always like, right. which meant I was so successful. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I could get some shit done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Make it work for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I was really great in school. I was an overachiever in all areas of my life, really trying to overcompensate for the, for the, just the lack of self-worth that I felt mm-hmm. because I just had this idea all the time mm-hmm. that people were going to leave me. Mm-hmm. Like it was just a low key thing that just followed me around. Like, oh, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave? Are you going to leave? Mm-hmm. So I would overgive. I would overcompensate. I would just over, over, mm-hmm. over, mm-hmm. over. Yeah. And really growing up in Texas, learned how to live like a man. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, you know, they're doing it. They have respect. They have this. So I started my first business in high school. Wow. I went, I was the first person to go to college. Um, and I learned how to drink like a man. <laughs> like I, I pushed through and learned how to drink as much beer and everything else as my guy friends, which I primarily hung out with. Mm-hmm. Um, I started partying and, and numbing in those ways and it felt freaking great. Yeah. And it worked for a really long time. You know, um, I was able to kind of hold both of these, be really successful and party my ass off mm-hmm. and and cope with all of my internal pain and confusion with drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it worked. I mean, I, yeah. I'm not mad at it. I had a great time. There was definitely consequences very early on. The first time I was hospitalized for alcohol poisoning was in high school. Mm. Right. So there was like those ding, ding, ding. Yeah. But because I was so successful on the outside and did such a great job of being like, (laughs) you can't touch this. (laughs) I was just a great masker. I Uh just masked it so well. Yeah. So that went on for years. Yeah. And years and years. Wow. And around 37 is when um, I was like, I'm going to heal all my trauma before I turn 40. Okay. I'm going to work it all out. I'm going to figure everything out. So I had a list mm-hmm. <laughs> of all the things that I wanted to do. One was to make amends with my birth mom, find her. First of all, I had no idea where she was. Oh. Um, and that kicked off. I didn't have a net. I didn't have a support system that was wide enough to hold what I was about to to jump into. Mm-hmm. And although I was warned, I was way too headstrong to really listen to mm. um, the one person who did like, tell me like, Ooh, this might get pretty messy. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it did Mm. almost immediately after I did, I found my mom. I was, I was teaching yoga out in Philadelphia and, uh, I found my mom in Washington DC and we met and it just, it was just like, I was a little kid again, just so helpless and all the things. And I just leaned into my best friend, alcohol. Mm Mm-hmm. And shortly after I woke up with the shakes and I was chemically dependent, like I could not go a day without it because I would shake so bad and get the, be in the hospital. Mm -hmm. 
so I started to, um, first I thought I could manage it by just drinking every day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then it became, I would close all my blinds and isolate. And then that's when it just got really weird. I'd never experienced my own body in these ways where I just started missing appointments. I couldn't get out of bed. I, all I could do was think about how to get alcohol and cocaine into my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and shortly after I was in treatment for the first time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so in 2014 is when Thrive and Recovery, like that's when the idea came to me. Okay. Um, I was in a traditional 12 step treatment center and it, didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, but because I tried to look good, I made it like, oh yeah, this totally makes sense, and I totally get it. And yeah. Da 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 da. And it was a safe place to be, and I met amazing people, and I was safe for thirty days or forty right. days, whatever it was. Right. And but the food, the nutrition, the movement, the um, the long term, like how do you make this a way of life was really missing. Mm -hmm. And there was such a focus on the substance, the substance. And since I came from trauma, I just didn't understand, you know, Mm -hmm. and I remember, I remember clearly like kind of bumping heads with the, the treatment team Mm -hmm. because I had already been studying trauma for so long. So I was like, no, there's, this is deeper. And they're like, you're going to have a hard time because you won't just admit you're an alcoholic and you're powerless, you know, and, uh-huh. and very, I have mad respect for the 12 step program, but it's very masculine. It's very, mm-hmm. um, it's very like this way or no way. Mm-hmm. And I was scared. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do it your way. Mm-hmm. Um, that led to, to me doing it their way and, and staying sober for about six months. And then that's when the real, like, that's where the real dark part of my story begins. Mm. Um, So again, I basically played the same trick on myself and everyone else around me. It's like, oh, I'll look good. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was voted like most likely to succeed when we got out of that treatment center. Because I was a (laughs) fucking pro. Oh, excuse me. Because I was a pro (laughs) at doing that. Exactly. Right. Well, you performed your way through life, right? So you had it down. Yeah master mask wearer mm-hmm. you know yeah so uh, um i had a plan the whole time that after six months i would be fine mm. and i drank after six months right around thanksgiving or christmas of that year mm-hmm. and i was in the hospital in like two days oh man yeah wow yeah because i just i was so dependent and i was so depressed because i didn't i wasn't telling the truth to anyone right so i was like re-traumatizing myself and abandoning myself, abandoning my truth. Mm -hmm. So that led to two years of trying to kill myself. Wow. um, In and out of several different treatment centers in California. Um, And no one really meeting me where I was at. Mm -hmm. It was just a really hard time. I did, I did start doing some trauma work with, um, with a somatic therapist um, who just, was so lovely, Mm -hmm. but also couldn't meet me where I was at in the sense of having the lived experiences of what it's like to be chemically dependent on something and, you know, all Mm -hmm. the things that I was. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. She, even she would just be like, you're so brilliant. And like, you know, there's this thing. And I'm like, cause it's been my coping mechanism since I was 14. Right. Right. I didn't have that I didn't know that I could like really live without it. And the trauma was so, oh gosh, just debilitating mm-hmm. that it was difficult to do anything else. Yeah. So finally I was like, I several attempts. I can't even tell you walking the streets of San Francisco, barefoot in and out of the hospital, always having like wristbands on from the hospital, firefighters coming to rescue me. Um, getting sexually assaulted in a blackout, like mm-hmm. passing out in the middle of the street mm-hmm. and get coming to in an ambulance. I mean, crazy things that happen that, mm-hmm. that were just really hard on my body. Again, re-traumatizing, broke both my teeth out, like just wow. really. Yeah. Yeah. Like the whole thing would, couldn't, once I started drinking, all I wanted to do was die. I would try to take a whole thing of Xanax and I would just like wake up. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't stay asleep. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted to do was just stay asleep. Yeah. So finally, um, 
on my last attempt, I was like, oh my gosh, if I'm not gonna die, I gotta live like I've never lived before. Mm -hmm. And I was in Texas at the time visiting my parents or not visiting, they had kidnapped me from San Francisco and were like, you'll get better here. And (laughs) that wasn't working at all. (laughs) Um, And so I flew back to California, checked myself into a treatment center um, in Southern California and uh, blew like over a four that day, blew higher than any of the men who checked in that day, spoke Spanish fluently to the psychiatrist and also told him my plan while I was in this sort of blackout. I remember parts of it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, please let me do it my way. I have a plan. And three months later, I was coaching people with Thrive and Recovery. (laughs) Wow. So it worked. Um, It took a lot of, you know, really feeding from the bottom Mm -hmm. um, to get here. And so I created everything that I've created based on my experience. Mm -hmm. And and also just with that knowing that truly being met where you're at, Mm -hmm. where you're actually at is so important, especially when it comes to trauma work and, and getting to the root cause of why the coping mechanism was there in the first place. Yeah. And you've developed a whole practice now, um, where people you're, you're basically, uh, we were saying before we, uh, started recording that you primarily work with zoom and have people, clients from all over the world, um, that are using your service, but, um, are you able, um, to how uh, let me ask it a different way how are you able to um guide them um through a virtual uh relationship um in a way that uh their trauma if their trauma is to really manifest itself in a certain way uh, are you able to to feel like you can kind of help walk them through as well in a virtual experience as you could if it was an in-office in-person um situation, I guess, is what I'm what I'm wondering. Yeah, that's a great question. Yes. As a matter of fact, in my experience, because I did have an in-person practice, mm-hmm. it is actually even more effective because when someone's in the comfort of their own home, mm-hmm. on their bed, with their animal, with the other people that love them in the other rooms, mm-hmm. in their life, mm-hmm. there's a certain level of, uh, of security and safety that the body feels. Mm-hmm. And trauma work is through the body. Right. So it's a it's an up, you know, it's a down. We basically say it's a bottom up mm-hmm. approach. So we start down here mm-hmm. and we go up here. Mm-hmm. And because they're comfortable and cozy and I have them bring all of their things with them to the call and their animal friend is with them and all of the things mm-hmm. like they're just able to mm-hmm. really relax into home. And then because it's coaching, we're able to put practical steps in place with the whole family system supporting it Mm -hmm. that actually gets them to start taking the consistent aligned action to make it a way of life rather than just have this like experience and then, you know, leave the office and then just start back with your old behaviors Mm -hmm. because my work is about actually changing the neuro pathways. Right. And making thriving and recovery a way of life. And, you know, it's a, it's a moment to moment, day to day, all the things practice that I still do. Mm-hmm. You know, I practice what I teach over and over and over again, every single day. Mm-hmm. However, being in this environment actually is very supportive. And if someone, you know, when we were still meeting in, in live person, um, for my very high end clients that um, are all in with me, then we would do in-person experience deep dives as well. And mm-hmm. you know, David, what's really missing from from especially the addiction recovery world is integration. Yeah, yeah. Talk about that because I um, I love um, talking with clients about the integrated life. You know that we're not that we're not just talking about the compartmentalized way they used to live and how to make those uh, work better. We're talking about how to integrate what's true about yourself, about your reality and the world and your beliefs and what you don't believe and come into grips with all of that. Tell me about the integrated self. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's what was, was happening with me. Mm-hmm. So I would talk the talk, mm-hmm. but I wasn't actually, I was still 
you know, cutting a part of myself off. I was still fragmented mm-hmm. and like, I'll just look good. But th- the work that I do is about bringing someone completely together imperfectly. You'll hear me say that word so often because we ain't meant to be perfect, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. And that's just some weird idea that we got from TV or mm-hmm. I don't know where the Bible, maybe. I don't know. Like uh-huh. I believe in the Bible, but I'm just like, where did this perfection thing come? Like we yeah. just don't, we're not supposed to do that. But I think that there's um, perfectionism is a trauma response. Mm-hmm. And so to truly at least start the integration process, it there's a deep level of acceptance for all of the parts of me. I'll just use myself as an example. It's easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're out there listening, you'll you'll hear yourself in normal day-to-day conversation go, well, there's a part of me that blah, blah, blah. And then there's another part of me that blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And even just through our language, if you feel into that, you can feel like, oh, those are like, those are two different parts of my body talking. Mm-hmm. And integration is like deeply getting to know these parts mm-hmm. and accepting them for what they are like I love the part of me that was rebellious and drank all the time and tried to kill myself and did all the weirdo things that I've done Mm -hmm. because that part of me kept me alive right right you know it 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 definitely kept me alive and so befriending that part of me Mm -hmm. is where integration is possible Mm -hmm. and we're thriving where we stop surviving and we start thriving and then getting to know your nervous system mm-hmm. is a big part of integration as well. And the nervous system is very simple and we complicate it with our thinking. Mm-hmm. And for what I find, especially with people, I was already a yoga teacher and teaching nutrition and, and all of that in my, in my life while I was still drinking mm-hmm. and using drugs and acting weird out there. <laughs> yeah. But so many people that I meet and this started with like my seven different treatment centers that I went to, I kind of like would look around and I was like, no one's in their body. Mm. You know, it was really difficult. I was always the only person who went to yoga or sound bowls or all these things. I was like, I got one-on-ones with all those practitioners <laughs> and I loved it. Uh-huh. But, you know, it was just like, it was, there's such a fear of actually dropping into the vessel that, that, uh, the people that we all live in. Right. But sometimes we think we can think our way through everything Mm -hmm. and it really takes a dropping into, but the thing is, is if you've experienced a high level of trauma, you're not safe in your own body. Mm. Okay. So the first thing that I'm always doing with people and including you and I, like when we started our conversation, it's like we created safety and established connection Mm -hmm. before we clicked record and and went live (laughs) for all the listeners. Uh Right. And so, um, really, Supporting people to find safety in their own body yeah. is where integration starts. Yeah. Well, Amy, when you get somebody um, that comes in, I'm sure you've had this conversation more than once. Um, I'm just here because I drink too much. I'm just here because I act out compulsively in certain ways. I don't really know why I do it. I uh, wish I didn't do it. Consequences are getting greater and greater and greater. But I don't think I have trauma. Like, I don't have any memory um, I don't have any bad shit in my past that I am holding up as my big excuse for why I do bad stuff. You know, I don't think I have trauma. What? How do you guide that person into the reality that very likely there's something there that's just a big missing piece? Yeah, it's usually just a very simple question. Like, tell me about your childhood. Mm. <laughs> Just pull that string and (laughs) off they go. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so cool because I work with people that have 30 years of sobriety Mm -hmm. and I work with people who are just starting their sobriety journey and all in between. And and I work with so many people who have seven, eight, nine years and still cannot manage to have a healthy relationship Mm -hmm. who have 30 years who are acting in all kinds of weirdo behaviors. And it all links to that. They haven't really explored their trauma work yet. Mm Mm-hmm. And they do. They're like, oh, I know the 12 steps backwards and forwards. And they can like, sh- you know, we can have a contest to who can have the most quotes from the book and all of the things. And I'm like, awesome. You know it. But, and I'm pointing to my head, y'all. Mm-hmm. You know it. but And now I'm pointing to my heart. You don't know it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. so what ends up happening is when the trauma happens, whether it's a complex trauma where it was just emotional abuse over and over and over and mm-hmm. over and over again to where you started seeking that out in your relationships listeners, which I did the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's complex trauma or big trauma, when the trauma incident happens, we kind of get stuck there. Mm-hmm. 
And then we create protectors and resilience around it and often don't even have the the memory from the hippocampus to know that it happened. Mm -hmm. And so first of all, of course, it takes that safety. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, usually within 10 minutes of a conversation with me, someone's crying. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So for the people who are going to contact you after this, be warned, right? (laughs) Either crying tears of like, oh my God, finally somebody gets me. Right. Or crying tears of like, oh shit, I just remembered something. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I hold a really safe container and a safe place for it. And I do a lot of groups and, you know, often in sober relationship school or even sober business school, two of my group coaching programs. And now I have a new group coaching program called Bridge to Trust. And it's actually bringing in the the family members as well. So mm. now I have like parents and their children okay. in the group program. It's so awesome because when, when they're witnessing someone else tell the truth mm-hmm. and being vulnerable, then that supports just the safety to finally say what you've never said to anyone else before. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in my opinion, we all have emotional trauma. Yeah. Because we human. Right. And how would you um, help people define trauma, Amy? Because a lot of people will say, you know, I didn't, I've never run through a minefield in Kuwait. I've never, you know, survived a bridge collapse. I've never, you know, any of that stuff. Um, I've never even been, you know, uh, molested as a kid. So I, I don't, I don't have trauma. How would you define trauma? Yeah. One of my teachers, Stephen Porges calls it the chronic disruption of connectedness. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, I have a thrive and recovery definition of it mm-hmm. that includes parts of that, you know, but it's also, just think about that. The chronic disruption of feeling connected to yourself, mm-hmm. to others, mm-hmm. to God, mm-hmm. or your higher power, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. to something bigger than you, mm-hmm. to other people, to everything. There's a chronic disruption of that connectedness, mm-hmm. which causes low self-esteem, low self-confidence, a not enoughness, mm-hmm. all of the thinking, 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 thinking. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know a human who doesn't at one point in their life, literally suffer with their own thought life. Mm-hmm. And when we're suffering with our thought life, we want to disconnect from our thought life. Hence drugs and alcohol, sugar, porn, mm-hmm. you know, gambling and social media, anything to distract mm-hmm. from the thought life mm-hmm. is, a, is a disruption of the connectedness from within. Mm. Yeah. Well, when you're doing family work now, I bet that's an interesting mm-hmm experience because in in my experience the the person who often is suffering uh with the you know substance use issue or um uh, whatever that may be that's bringing them in you know the family's already decided that they're the problem you know and and they they're sort of the identified person and they're the problem and we get them fixed they can come back and play nicely with the rest of us you know (laughs) 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 and uh and you know where i'm going so uh so you know the person is sitting there and actually they're the whistleblower you know Mm. they know all the Mm. they know all the shit on everybody on the whole system on the whole thing what's it like to bring the family into a system where they may believe that they're here to help this person stop doing a problematic behavior and they find out that what it really is is it's going to disrupt their whole narrative Mm. so beautiful great question and um you know the first thing I'm very gentle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, let me just start with that. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a very gentle process. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I basically tell them, I, I, y'all can't see this, but I have a curtain behind me and I say, let's leave your loved one behind the curtain mm-hmm. and let's talk about your experience. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. literally within the first couple of sentence, I can navigate into like where, this whole thing started probably mm-hmm. um, in the bridge in the bridge to trust experience. It's been so beautiful because um, the first thing that we always notice in um, gosh, always is a strong word. The first thing that um, 99% of the time I notice with the family members is that they have no sense of self that they've lost sense of self mm-hmm. because they've been, you know, so anxiously attached to fixing. And that word just ooh, gets under my skin. Mm-hmm. Cause we just aren't, 
we we ain't computers, y'all. <laughs> we are complex human beings with a body, uh-huh. so we ain't fixing nothing, <laughs> right? Yeah. But they've been so concerned with that that they've lost sense of self mm-hmm. and any personal responsibility to even their how they feel. And you know, this is the most common thing that I hear. Well, my life is great. My connection with my partner is great. And I, you know, everything, I've got my stuff handled. I go to Al-Anon meetings. I go to CODA meetings. Mm-hmm. I've got it all taken care of. Right. And then I can ask one question, maybe two. And again, they're like, oh. Mm-hmm. And I think that something that's really powerful is that, you know, uh, what attracts them to me in the first place mm-hmm. is they're like, I want my 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 husband, my wife, my partner my child to have what you have. I want them to, um, to have the recovery that I see in you. Right. And so they have, they have trust with me because I'm a, I'm a conscious sober woman mm-hmm. and I have the education to speak to like, yeah, this is so possible for your loved one. Mm-hmm. And here's your part in it. Mm-hmm. And like, can we separate that? And you commit to doing whatever it is you want to do or not. Mm-hmm. And then they commit to doing whatever it is they want to do or not to actually have a healthy conscious relationship. And I believe Dave, like <laughs> that healthy conscious relationships will change the world when more people know this more bottom up approach mm-hmm. to communicating, to setting boundaries, to trusting self and others to, to just kind of embodying their vessel. Yeah. And, and that takes, um, it takes a lot of vulnerability and courage. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing that excites me about what you do is that, I mean, you and I know that in recovery work, trauma is becoming more and more and more a part of, of the work, you know, and a lot of treatment centers are beginning to uh, um, not, not put away a 12-step model, but to enhance it, let's say, maybe with some skilled, trained uh, trauma people. Um, very often, you know, there's a, maybe one individual session a week for somebody in, in treatment and you're there for 30 days. And I mean, you know, the drill. And so, um, out you go, you know, you've had four big sessions with a person and, and trauma probably didn't get touched. If you're really like you, a really good performer and know how to create great, you know, uh, uh, window dressing and distract, you know, it's, it's, it's out you go, you know? So, so how, um, are you involved in, in other areas, uh, besides your practice where you're helping people train in this so that they can take that into other places and, and do more of this kind of thing? That's next. Yeah. Okay. Great. that's the fourth quarter of this year and into next year. Um, absolutely. Like I am so ready. Um, my In 2014, when I started this, that was kind of the plan. Like, how can I train more people? Mm-hmm. So I'm just great at that. I've been an entrepreneur for so long and I'm a great teacher and trainer and all of those things. I'm like, how can I train other coaches and other facilitators, whether they're, you know, body work facilitators or recovery peer coaches or all of it mm-hmm. to really learn this? Um because exactly what you said, when you get out of treatment is when like it gets hard. Right. And the thing is, is the nervous system always takes the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you get triggered or activated, bam, you know, that neural pathway to like, let's go, you know, solve this problem mm-hmm. with a substance. It works the fastest. Mm-hmm. And I have the lived experience of that. Mm-hmm. I would try everything. And then I was like, no, I'm going to get vodka. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it was just the fastest path. So the more people that are out there to catch someone when they leave the treatment center that are informed Mm -hmm. and that are in there for the right, the right reasons. And that are really, you know, committed and trained to first, this is a big thing, doing their own work. Mm. Like y'all, if you're out there and you're working with someone that you can tell hasn't and isn't continuing to continue their education and their trauma work and their, you know, all of the things digging deeper, Mm -hmm. like you probably ain't going to get as far as you want to go. You know, something that I remind people constantly, and that's why I'm literally in a course like year round, because I can only take people as far as I've been. Right. And I am willing to go. I mean, this is my like, this is my thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to go so far to educate myself, because if anyone ever stumps me, I'm like, oh, I got to go 
figure that out. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll admit to them, notice it, name it, and then say like, I'm going to pick up a book or I'm going to take a course. Thank you for giving that to me. So I think it's just so important to continue doing our own work as practitioners. And then in addition to that, just letting people know, like, it's okay. Like you make sense. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. And the more people that can start to learn that language without pathologizing, Mm -hmm. you know, in treatment, we learn to pathologize. You usually leave there with all these medications and you're like, what? I was on zero. Mm -hmm. I support (laughs) so many people. I work with their doctors and their whole clinical team, but I support so many people to titrate off their medication. Right. Because after we heal that trauma, then they don't need it. And they might not have ever needed it, but in those environments, it's easier to kind of sedate everyone mm-hmm. than it is to, you know, I mean, it's, it's it, work running treatment centers is not easy and yeah. I have tremendous respect for the ones that do it well. Um, but there's not many that do it well. Yeah. I had a psychiatrist from a treatment center tell me once that, um, you know, they first take everybody off of everything unless it's a, you know, thyroid medicine or something, you know, that they're right. on. But, um, he said only about 10% of the people, that he sees actually need the medicine they came in using. Yeah. You know, and, uh, I love that psychiatrist. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> well, I did too, because, <laughs> yeah, because it was, um, you know, it was so enlightening because everybody, uh, is, uh, believing that for one thing, a lot of people have a false idea about what an antidepressant even, you know, can do and certainly don't yeah. understand that, um, you know, anti-anxiety meds can, be a problem of their own, especially if you come from a, you know, place of, um, enjoying a lot of alcohol in the past and things like that. But the whole thing just made a lot of sense to me. And it, uh, gave me a little more trust in the work they were doing there too, because the idea wasn't just to, you know, replace them with new medicine and send them home. Not that there's anything wrong with medicine necessarily, but, um, but I love the idea that, um, people have to learn. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel, um, the, the loss of things and, and, um, all those things, but then we have to learn how to process it without just, um, only having a high that's this high and a low that's this low and living in this narrow bandwidth or something. But that's my, that's my soapbox on that. But that's, Oh no, it's beautiful. And I completely 100% agree with you. You know, it's just like, that's so necessary. And so one of the first things that I do is teach them the polyvagal ladder and what the nervous, just teach them about the nervous system and the three states of the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And that explains the high, high and the low, low. And I'm like, maybe, maybe, and maybe it's like my favorite word, because I don't know, Mm -hmm. but maybe you're not bipolar. Mm -hmm. Maybe your nervous system has been responding with a sympathetic fight, flight response your Mm -hmm. whole life Mm -hmm. because of your trauma. Mm -hmm. And maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. if we learn how to use your vagus nerve and, and, and really, support you to learn tools and behaviors, Mm -hmm. maybe then you can learn how to support your nervous system to relax. Mm -hmm. And that's freedom. When you, when you understand your nervous system and how to relax it and to also bring it energy, if it's going dorsal or collapsed or freeze, Mm -hmm. you know, no one can ever take that away from you. Everyone who works with me, that's what my first thing I say is when you say yes to yourself, no one will ever be able to take these tools away from you and they will be for a lifetime. Yeah. And I really start with basic things and, um, and a lot of big language that kind of scares people at first, but I'm like, you'll learn it. I promise. Cause you'll feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And then you won't need the gabapentin and then you won't need the, um, the, the other things. And maybe you will, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it's all a maybe game mm-hmm. because we're all designed very differently. Mm-hmm. But how freeing it must be when an individual realizes that there are origins of these things that that they're just not these moral failures or these, you know, whatever that is. But, you know, that they bought into the behavior being the problem, you know, um, so much uh, focus gets placed on the behavior and not the why behind the what. So when you're offering them this this look back there at things that they could be bringing into this without any understanding of, of how, you know, how that those experiences cause them to become so 
hypervigilant and hyper aware and hyper managing. And I had a client that told me she's a very successful woman and a business consultant. And um, a CEO of a company told her one day, he said, I have never met anybody that can walk into a meeting and read the room in such a short amount of time as you. And what she realized was, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, um, well, I've been practicing that since I was eight. <laughs> you know, and I sure as hell can. And I can tell you who's going to go along with this and who's not and who's going to buy it and who I need to warm up to and who's not with me. You know, and it takes mm, me about all of I, I am that woman. Yeah. It takes me all <laughs> about 30 seconds. And uh, oh, yeah, I was the secret weapon in this <laughs> development. There, I wouldn't even say anything. I would just walk in and then I would tell, you know, everyone I'm like, okay, this, da, 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 da. okay, I'm out. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why I started my own business very soon after because I had that skill. Yeah. <laughs> and how many out there listeners, you know, feel that like know what we're talking about. So beautiful. And what so what's what's happened with this woman in your work together? Well, it's been an amazing thing because she has. Uh, Actually, I mean, she's she's sober. She's doing very well, um, and she's uh, starting to take responsibility for some things in her life that she's allowed um, to go on. And uh, it's been some disruption, of course, uh, but sure. but she doesn't feel broken, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a that's the wonderful thing, you know. She's like, maybe yeah. I'm not actually the problem, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh, God, David. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing that up. And even as you're saying that, I started to find myself getting emotional because shame was, and maybe it is for people listening, shame was my Mm go-to. Like, I just, I'm so, I'm still so acquainted with shame Mm -hmm. that I can go there if activated, like, so quickly. Mm -hmm. And when, and I'd started doing this trauma work stuff before I got sober. Mm -hmm. But when I got sober, then I was really able to go how I behaved makes sense Mm -hmm. sure and i can choose to behave differently and that is so much freedom and you know i don't i don't know about y'all out there but when i come up on an anniversary i start to get a lot of remembrances of all the things that i've done and i'm Mm. coming up on five consistent years of consciousness um at the end of june and so i it's just been so interesting i've just been getting all kinds of remembrances Mm. and i have to put my hand on my heart and say Honey, you didn't know. Mm-hmm. You didn't know. I mean, just all the times that I said yes when I meant no. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 a lot to feel. Yeah. And that's another thing of like, you know, these kind of things can take us out or we can like be integrated and learn from them and have our support networks and our support groups and go, oh, it's okay. Yeah. I have my bathtub full of water right now because I just jump in and out <laughs> of it when I get like, and it's like almost you know, like it's just on these anniversaries. It's so normal for the body to release memories. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know that because this is the work I do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just really want a presence that like, I haven't like outgrown this. I, right. don't, I don't have it all figured out. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I walk what I talk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Amy, thank you so much for being here. This is a, this has really been an incredible conversation. And so how can our listeners connect with you? Um, if they would like to explore more or, uh, read more about what you do or, or hopefully, uh, engage your work. Um, Absolutely. how can they, how can they get yeah. in touch? And the easiest thing I've made it is at thrive in recovery with Amy. Okay. Um, that's my Instagram where I'm there at least twice a day and there's lots of videos to get to know me. That's my Facebook and uh, that's my website. Mm-hmm. So everything's at thrive and recovery with Amy. Okay. Pretty easy to remember. Okay. Exactly. Straightforward. You don't have to wonder what I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. There's not going to be any surprises there in, the, in that. So, yeah. um, well, Amy, thank you so much. It's absolutely a pleasure, and I am so glad that we got to talk about this. And listeners, I do hope you will uh, explore Amy's work and her services and the things that she has to offer, because this is um, this is the root of the stuff we're we're trying to get people to uh, get in touch with as we walk through this um, windy. Unper- imperfect path of recovery. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, listeners, don't go <laughs> Thanks anywhere. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, well, absolutely. And so, don't go anywhere, listeners. We will be back in just a minute on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. 
And Nate, I had so much fun with Amy uh, Guerrero on that interview. And um, I, it's another one of those that I wish our audience could see because she's very mm. animated and she's very mm-hmm. um, she's very expressive. And mm. uh, but she has some some really great things to say, and she's passionate about her message. I was not to put you on the spot, but what were some of the takeaways um, that kind of stood out to you? You had said you listened to it a couple of times now. Yeah. The phrase that really struck me and that I have been repeating over and over again, because it opens doors on uh, my understanding of trauma, which we know lies really, it's, it's the seed of so much of our uh, destructive behavior. Mm-hmm. Trauma defined as the chronic disruption of connectedness. Boy, does that get to it. Yeah. Does that get to it? Yeah. Uh, What we were born for, uh, uh, what we need, what we're programmed for in order to thrive, uh, what we need in order to thrive is uh, connection. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, and that connection can be disrupted in so many ways. It doesn't have to be a slap across the face or a punch in the mouth. Mm -hmm. It can be a look. It can be not what's said, but what isn't said. Yeah. Uh, And to be able to go back over our stories and without assigning a lot of blame, you know, without putting ourselves forever in this, you know, victim mode, if we can in a clear eyed way, uh, see the ways in which that connectedness has been disrupted. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, yeah, and now, you know, we're 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 haunted by and driven by this loneliness. Mm-hmm. We've got to find either a way to find a false connection, which I found through sex addiction, mm-hmm. or medicate the loneliness somehow, numb it out in some way. There are mm-hmm. other ways of kind of dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we really need is to find our way back to connectedness, connection to ourselves first, that inner connection, Mm -hmm. and then connection to others. And then for me, at least, connectedness to a higher power. Yeah. And if we work on connection, Mm -hmm. that's the way to uh, protect ourselves and to heal from the effects of addiction. Right. That was powerful to me. Yeah. Yeah, it it is. And, um, you know, it is, it is really worth saying again, it's, as important what doesn't happen to us as what happened to us, you know, yeah, yeah. what we didn't get, what we aren't getting, um, feeling alone in a marriage, feeling alone, like you don't have a voice in your own life because you're not, mm. um, you're not heard and you're not validated. Um, you know, finding connection among people that support us is so important. And, and I find that people, when they feel empowered and they begin to express their truest selves and bring their truest selves into something, they get, um, they get better a lot quicker. Yeah. 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 Well, uh, yeah. What a wonderful conversation. And I, I think you did a great job with it, Dave. Oh, well, thank you. We missed having you. (laughs) It would have been even better with you. (laughs) All right. And by the way, you have filled the calendar with great guests going forward. We've got a a lot of uh, fascinating guests coming our way over the summer. We've got a good summer ahead of us. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, before we go... Uh, remind us, will you, David, about our sponsor? Absolutely. Uh, we are sponsored by BetterHelp.com, H-E-L-P. And, um, and we are grateful to be because Nate and I both believe in um, finding any way we can to help us get unstuck. And uh, one of the best ways is to find somebody who can listen to us. And at BetterHelp.com, you will have a licensed therapist who is on call for you um, that you can set up regular uh, appointment times right from the convenience of your own home. And BetterHelp will help you discuss anything from depression, anxiety, um, your uh, concerns about a chemical or substance issue you may be experiencing. Um, anything that you would go to normal counseling or therapy to ex- experience unpacking, BetterHelp can help you with. Uh, if you go to betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety, we can find out uh, if our resources are being helpful to you and you can get a 10% discount on your subscription. So check them out at betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. All right. Thanks, David. 
And as always, we love to hear from our listeners. Uh, we value your suggestions. Uh, frankly, we like your affirmation. Mm-hmm. And we even appreciate uh, your uh, constructive criticism. So uh, any suggestion you have, please take the time to drop us an email at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. And if you find the show helpful, give us a positive review. Uh, wherever you download this podcast. That'll help us expand the audience and get the message to more people. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer, Rex Schnelli. Music by Rex Schnelli. Theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett. uh, Wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford. 